Well, we're in a series right now called Family Matters 2. Family Matters 2 because we did Family Matters 1 a few years ago. And we're on Sermon 8. And today we're going to be talking about a strong moral compass. We're in the, we're in the middle of talking about eight milestones that every child needs to have by the time uh, they leave our house. And we've gone through each of these. I'll read them briefly this morning. And, and if you haven't taken a screenshot of this yet, I would encourage you to do so because... These are things you need to keep before you. Number one is we want our kids to have a strong, vibrant relationship with God. We want them to have love and passion for God's Word. We want them to have a very high regard and commitment to the local church. We want them to understand their purpose in this life. And number five, we want them to have a strong moral compass that understands clearly the difference between right and wrong. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. This will probably be a two-part sermon because I just I didn't think I could get it all in in one one sermon and uh, I'm not big on keeping y'all here you know past lunch y'all kind of check out anyway so hey I get hungry you know I ain't, I can't preach all day I got to go eat some lunch all right anyway but strong moral compass now you may have heard this morning when we were praying over little Addison I prayed that I prayed that she would have a strong moral compass that wasn't because I was preaching on it this morning if you've been to every baby dedication we always pray that and that's because I always have prayed that over my own kids. I pray that's one of the things that I pray over my kids. Anytime I pray for them, I pray that they would have a strong moral compass and that they would clearly know the difference between right and wrong and that they would have a heart to obey what they know. They would have a heart to obey that, that moral compass. If you look around, you can see in our nation right now that by and large, it would seem that many in our nation have lost their bearing, and that's because they don't have a moral compass. How many of you know what a compass is? We all know what a compass is, right? It's very, it just basically tells us where north is, and it's firm and it's fixed. And by knowing where north is, you can determine a lot about your navigation. You can, ter- you can determine a lot about which way you need to go. From finding north, you can find south, east, west, you can find the other parts. If you have a map and you know where north is, you can now orient that map towards north and it'll help you find where you need to go. There's been many times in my life that I've used a compass because I I like to do outdoors things. We go, you know, we've been on hiking trips and we do some kayaking and things like that and we've done some extended trips where we were away from technology, away from civilization, away from chargers, you know, where we could charge our GPS and things like that. And I never go into the wilderness on a trip without a compass because other things can fail, and I've had that happen more than once. I remember one trip uh, not too long ago, just a couple years ago, where, and most of these trips, Brandon was with me, and I don't know if he's just like bad luck or what, but, that, but anyway, Brandon's our youth pastor, if y'all don't know. He's also my brother-in-law. But uh, one of these trips, we were in Arkansas at Eagle Rock Loop, and we were trying to get to a certain part of the trail, and we were trying to get there by a a means that was not really part of the map or part of the trail. We were going to try to kind of go off trail to get there. Well, the problem was, and we had a GPS, I had a GPS watch, and I'd pre-put in, you know, all my points, and the thing was going to be simple. All I had to do was follow the watch, and it literally has an arrow that just leads you everywhere you need to go. You can't get any better than that. And I love technology, and I hate technology. I love technology as long as it's working. 
but when it stops working, it's a problem. Well, you all know what happened. The only time you need it to work, like it'll work every single day when I'm in the office or whatever, and I don't need it. And then the one moment you get out in the wilderness, guess what? The GPS froze. The software on my watch froze. And the problem with the big problem with that was is that we had put in somewhere, um, we, we had thought we put in somewhere, and actually we had not put in where we thought we put in. We were at a totally different part of the map. Now we didn't know where we were at. We were lost, and the GPS was frozen, and so we're just sitting there. And I remember I said, okay, we actually don't know where we're at. We're in the middle of the wilderness, and, of course, we could backtrack out for miles. We, we knew how to get back out. It wasn't that. But we had to figure out from there how could we still get to our destination. And thank God we had a compass and a map. And from there, we were able to look at, you know, landmarks and points, and we had the compass and everything, and we were able to figure out our location, and we were able to get exactly where we were needing to go. And that is the value of a compass, is when things seem confusing and other stuff is not working and you, you don't understand what's happening, the compass will always be the one sure thing in your life that says, well, at least you know this. At least you know north is this way. And from that one thing, you can determine a lot. We had another situation also with Brandon, by the way. Blame him again because he's usually the one why we get lost. But anyway, uh, I'm just kidding. Me, me and Brandon give each other a hard time. But we were doing some kayaking. We were on a lake, a broken bow up in Oklahoma. And because we've done a lot of trips, sometimes we like to do things that challenge ourselves a little bit. And this was one of those trips. We didn't have a trail or anything like that. Anyway, we were kayaking on broken bow, and we had picked one of the highest... Uh, elevation points and we were navigating there and we didn't have a GPS this time we just had map and compass and I think we did 8-12 miles it was kind of an all day thing and, and we, when we got to the land we then backpacked up to the highest point we set up our tent on the top of this uh, peak and it was just perfect and then the bottom fell out and it started raining and we were in a little tent uh, it's called a two man tent but it's really a one man tent and we were just snuggled up elbow to elbow, you know, laying in the tent because you can't sit up. It's so short. So we're just laying there, you know, smelling each other and just, and we're looking and we're like, man, we've got like, you know, six to eight more hours of this. This is miserable. This is not fun. Uh, I don't really want to lay here for the next six, eight hours and look at you. And, <clears throat> and so we said, well, we have an option. It was getting, it was getting, it was cold. So it was getting like in the low 40s. And it was pouring down rain, and we, had, uh, we did have internet, so we could tell that the, uh, we had a weather report, and we knew that it was going to be continuing to rain, and it was going to be cold. So we said, all right, we got, we got uh, one option, or two options. We could stay here and look at each other all, all day for the rest of the afternoon, or we could tear down everything, and we could backpack back down and kayak out in this, in this storm. And what we discussed was, well... If we do that, everything we have is going to get soaked. Tent's going to be soaked, sleeping bags, all of our gear, everything is going to be soaked. And so now you have no choice but to make it out because you can't stay out here with everything wet. You'll get hypothermia. So he said, do we want to take that chance? And we said, well, Brandon said, yes. So we said, okay, we're going to do this. So we tore everything down, and it was, everything got soaked. We're drenched to the bone, everything. So we backpacked down the the mountain hill, whatever it was. We got down to the kayaks and we start kayaking out. Well, the storm just keeps getting worse. And now visibility, you can't barely see from here to the back of the room. Fog, you can't see land. You can't see anything. The, the wind is bad. The, the, now the, you know, this big lake, the, the waves are white capping. 
we can't see anything. We were navigating by landmarks. Now we can't see anything. He thinks the truck is this way. I think it's this way. We're confused. And right on the front of my kayak, I had a big compass. And I said, I know what direction the truck is. And actually, at one point, both of us were convinced it was this way. And actually, we said, you know what? Because I've heard too many stories. I said, when you think it's one thing, just trust the compass. And so we said, all right, we're going to just trust the compass. And it literally was the opposite direction of what we thought. And we followed it, and it took us right back to where we needed to be. And that would have been a big mistake if we'd not followed it. It could have ended, you know, it, it wouldn't have been good for us to be out in that weather. could have got lost, cold, all of that. And we followed the compass, and it led us right back to where we needed to be. How many of you have ever been in life... And you, it was like that. It was like a storm. It was foggy. You lost your bearings for a moment. You don't know uh, if you believe in God. You don't know if you believe the Bible. You don't know if you want to be married anymore. Go on and on and on. You, you feel like you've lost your bearings and you don't know what's what. And the media is saying this and the world's saying this. And you got certain people telling this and TV's telling you this. And you feel like you've lost your bearing. It's very important at that moment that you know where your true north is. I think it's hilarious in these romantic comedies, you know, where somebody looks at another person and they go, you're my true north. <laughs> That's about the stupidest thing I ever heard. A person can't be your true north. God has to be your true north. The word of God has to be your true north. Because no person is that firm. No person is that solid. No person is that infallible. You can't, you can't, a person can't be your true north. God has to be your true North. And there are moments in a child's life that are very confusing. Because we're talking about raising families, right? And we're talking about putting a strong moral compass in them. What is a moral compass? A moral compass is something that tells you this is right always, no matter what. And it doesn't matter what contrary opinion I hear to that. It doesn't matter what culture says, what my friends say, what the TV says. This is right, and I know this is right, and you can't move me off of that. How many of you know that's very important for children to have that strong moral compass? And as parents, it's our job to make sure that that gets developed in them. So we're going to talk about that this morning, about how to do this. How, to, how do we develop a strong moral compass in a child? Well, it's two parts, and we're going to talk about part one this morning, and we're going to get to part two next week. But, but number one is we must establish absolute truth in their life. We must establish absolute truth in their life. Meaning, we must establish that the Bible is the only absolute truth in their life. And that at times, your culture will be right, but it's only because it aligned itself with the Word of God. And at other times, it will be wrong because it is not aligned with the Word of God. So you're going to hear a lot of crazy opinions. You're going to hear a lot of really good arguments. You're going to hear a lot of logic. But understand, all of that is just human reasoning. And it deserves to be given, you know, a certain place and level. But it never supersedes the absolute truth of the Word of God, which is up here. The opposite of this is called relativism. And relativism is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. And this is where our culture is right now. Our culture doesn't really believe in absolute truth, or at least they like to pretend that they don't when it's on a certain issue that they don't want absolute truth to exist. 
I mean, you have things like right now, and I've shown some of these videos in church before if you were ever here, but I've shown where they've gone on college campuses and, and they're doing interviews and they're, they're asking people, you know, hey, um, can, can a man be a woman? Well, if they, if they say they are, well, if they believe they are, well, that's relativism. That means that you don't believe there's any absolute truth. And, and a lot of times we don't follow that logic to its end. Well, if a, if a man can say he's a woman, then a child can say they're a dog and a, or a parrot or a, a, a white person can say they're Chinese or they're on and on. It just never, it never stops. That's moral relativism. But this is not new, even though... We see it growing in our country. It's not anything new. This has been around for a very long time. And, and actually, if you trace this to its roots, it goes all the way back to 400 years, really, before Christ. And this was a time of Aristotle, Plato, you know, those, uh, those guys. And there was a guy named Protagoras. And basically, what he, what he taught was that truth is what any person says it is. And that there is no strict truth. In other words, if, and, and of the example that they would use a lot is this, I think it's like an old Indian proverb where there's an elephant and, you know, there's six blind guys. They're all touching it from different angles and one person is touching the head. So he's got a view. One person is touching the tail. He's got a view. One person is touching the leg. So he's got a view of what an elephant is. And they say, well, you know, that's how truth is. We all see it from an angle and that actually there is no absolute truth, but truth is just what any person says it is. Well, Plato came along and easily defeated this argument by explaining that Protagoras, his argument is actually self-defeating. It actually defeats itself because you can't say that there is no truth and then establish a truth. You, you can't say, well, here's the truth about truth, and the very thing that you said is there is no truth. Because if we believe what you said, which is there is no truth, we can automatically assume that your statement is false. Or that at the very least, it's just an opinion. And it, because the moment, and, and Plato's point was, the moment that Protagoras would, would argue, hey, this is how things are, you're establishing an absolute truth. And therefore self-defeating your own argument. So he easily defeated it, and it wasn't really taken that serious back then because you had guys like... Plato and Aristotle that said this is retarded and they could, they could explain it from a logical standpoint. We also know this just from logic. It's amazing how confused we can get on stuff that we just know from the time we're born. Because I could, I could sit there and hold this up to you and say, this is a water bottle. And everybody in this room is like, well, yeah, duh. But you could find one of these idiots that come along and say, no, it's not really a water bottle. And you could write a dissertation on it, a 40-page, 50-dissertation, how this is not really a water bottle. And it's just like everyone knows it's a water bottle. Why are we sitting here arguing about this? But that's how things are right now. You take things that everybody knows, everybody with any common sense, everybody with any logic whatsoever from the time you were born can go, this is truth. And you got these super smart people that come along and say, no, it's not. Listen to us. And if you don't have a strong moral compass, you will be swept up into that nonsense. Why? Because the human mind is not infallible. The human mind is faulty. The hum human beings are not actually as smart as we think we are. Human beings actually can be easily tricked and easily deceived. And it doesn't take long to figure that out. 
This is why, you know, people love to watch magic tricks. <laughs> and you get on YouTube and you find these people that they do all these famous magic tricks. And it's like, whoa, how? Well, it's not real. There's some trick to it. There's some, there's some catch to it. And if you're like me, you've ever watched magic tricks and then you watch how it was really done. You're like, golly, how did I ever fall for that? That was so stupid. I, figured, I should have been able to figure that out, that that's how I was doing that. But actually, actually, human beings are not that smart. And it's admitting this that it really is the source of true humility. See, tr- true humility is acknowledging that I have my intellect and the way I view things and see things actually has a limit. It's actually faulty and actually can't be trusted. So therefore, I put all of my confidence in the one that I believe can be trusted, which is God and his word. I understand that there may be times where I'm confused on an issue. This has happened in my life as a Christian, where I understand there are times where I've been confused about an issue. And I, I, from a logical standpoint, I was seeing it this way and explaining it this way until I just said, you know what, I'm going to trust what the word of God says on it. And when I begin to dive deep into that, maybe clarity came to my thinking later on that topic. And I go, oh, well, here's the answer to that. And the word of God was right all along. That's why for, for, for kids, we have to raise them understanding the word of God is the only absolute truth. And we have to establish that and put that in them from a very young age. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Listen, everything in this earth is passing away. Everything. The flowers, grass that he mentions, money, knowledge, books, people, all of it's passing away. He says, but the word of our God will stand forever. When everything is said and done, when all is finished, when this earth has burned up in fire, as the Bible tells us that it will, there will be one thing that remains, and it will be the word of God. Unchanged, perfect, infallible. That is the word of God. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said the same thing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And look at this. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isn't that something? The word of God is literally upholding the universe. And you go, oh no, that, that, you know, there's other things, there's other science things that it can explain. Like, well, you know, gravity is upholding the universe. Well, go ask any scientist what gravity is. It's a mysterious force. Well, I can tell you what it is because the Bible says it. The Bible says that the word of God, the power of God's word is holding the the whole universe together. That's the mysterious force. Well, you can label it gravity. You can call it gravity. That's fine. God created it. But if you go all the way back to the beginning, everything is here because God spoke it into existence. 
and the, and the reason why the universe works and the planets and the stars and everything is working is because those words that he spoke from the very beginning are still holding the entire universe together. He said, let this be, and it's never stopped because that's the word of our God. It's the only thing that is that firm and that, that exact. So the word of God is true. The word of God is infallible. The word of God is perfect. Some people, even Christians, have a problem with this. They say, well, you know, there's, uh, there's errors in the Word of God, or, well, there's contradictions in the Word of God. Well, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I'll just say this. If, a, a, if, if, if there are errors in the Word of God, then God himself has errors. A perfect God who has never made a mistake and has never erred cannot create a could not create his word that has errors and is not perfect. No. Anytime there's been thought to be an error or a contradiction, there's always an explanation for it. There's always a reason. Upon further study, upon further investigation, you will always find that the word of God is perfect and without error. It is infallible and it is the only thing that is infallible in our world. Now, here's a big point that I want you to understand when it comes to developing a moral compass in a child. The way to develop a strong moral compass in a child is actually to, along with what we're talking about with absolute truth, is to teach them to think critically and to discover and dig for truth. In other words, don't tell them what to think, but teach them how to think. If something, this is where I want you to see, if something is true, then it cannot be proven to be false. In other words, it's not true because the Bible told us it is true. And this is a big thing I want you to understand, okay? Something is not true because the Bible told us it's true. It was always true. It's just the Bible revealed that truth to us. And this is such an important distinction. See, when you read the Bible, if you think, well, this is true because the Bible says it's true. Well, that is, that is correct. But you have to understand that the Bible didn't make it true by saying it. It was already true. It's just that it was written about. It was given to us in, in the Word of God. But it was already true to begin with. For example, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. If the Bible never wrote about that, how many of you know it's still true? still happened. The Bible didn't have to write about it to make it true. It was already, it was already true. For example, <clears throat> on Thursday night, I was at home. <clears throat> on Thursday night, I was at home. You now know about it. <laughs> you didn't know about it before. It was true before you knew about it. I was at home on Thursday night. And that's a fact, and this is what I'm saying, when something is true and it is a fact, it cannot be proven to be false. So if someone came along and they said, well, I don't believe you were at home on Thursday night. I don't have any worries about that, right? Because I was at home on Thursday night and you can't prove it to be false because I know that it's true. I was there. So if someone comes along and they could spend their whole life, they could spend 20 years of their life, they could interview everybody I know. They could look for security footage. They could track my credit card. They could look for cell phone pings. They could go through this whole thing. They could write articles about it. They could start a whole online group of uh, conspiracy theories about where Pastor Josh was on Thursday night. And I'm not worried about it because I know exactly where I was on Thursday night. 
And you could spend your whole life arguing. You could give lectures on it. You could start a YouTube channel about where Pastor Josh was on Thursday night. But you can't prove something to be false that is true. It is true, and it doesn't matter how much you write about it. It doesn't matter how much you skew it. It doesn't matter how much you bring doubt into other people's minds. The fact is what it is, and it cannot be changed. And this is what I'm saying. Everything in the Word of God was already true. It was already true. God is God. Jesus is His Son. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The world was created exactly the way the Bible says it was. All of these things were true. You just found out about them when you read the Bible. And whether the Bible had been written or not, they would have been true. This is important. We're, getting, we're going somewhere with this, but I need you to understand this. Because when you tell a child, when you're trying to create a strong moral compass in a child, it's good to tell them this is true because the Bible said so. But that's actually not the full story. That's actually not the full story. And sometimes for certain kids, that's not enough. Sometimes in a kid's mind, when you just tell them, this is true because the Bible said so, they don't, they, at some point they begin to lose, they, they may come to a point in their life where they don't believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. They may listen to a professor, they may hear friends, it may call, into, it may call things into question in their minds, well, is the Bible really, really true or not? Well, here's the thing. Because everything in the Bible actually is true with or without the Bible, then everything that's in the Bible can be proven to be true because it is true. Let me give you an example. I know, I'm, I know some of you are like scratching your head going, what are you, you are talking round circles this morning. Well, I'm trying to get you to understand that when you're talking to a child, it's just like telling them, why do I have to do this? Because I said so. That's not good enough for some kids. Some kids want to know, well, I know you said it. I have ears, but I want to know, why did you say it? Can you explain to me why I can't do this? Because I said so. Well, that's not good enough for a lot of kids. And what that's going to do is actually create rebellion in them. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, because the Bible said so, at there a certain time in your life, that wasn't good enough for you? And I think we make a mistake when we tell kids that have legitimate questions, and this usually happens through their teenage years and on into college, we make mistakes and we say, well, you just have to believe the Bible. Well, you do have to believe the Bible. That is true. But see, I believe that everything in the Bible is true and can't be proven false. So I don't have to just say, well, because the Bible said so. I think that it can be demonstrated why adultery is not good for you without the Bible. I think it can be demonstrated to you why stealing is bad, apart from the Bible. The Bible says it's true, and, that is, and that's correct, but it was true even before the Bible said it. Let me give you a few examples. Let's take the Earth's free float in space. Right now, the sphere of the Earth is free floating in space. I can't get this water bottle to float. But this globe that we sit on is spinning around in, in just black space. And it's also, it's also going around the sun in this pattern. While our solar system is also going around the Milky Way. While the Milky Way is also going through, through outer space. It's an, it's an insane situation. Okay, but that's what's happening. The earth is free floating in space. 
Well, it wasn't, and the Bible says this, but it wasn't discovered until 1475 by Copernicus that the earth was free-floating. It was in 1475 that astronomers found out that the earth hangs literally on nothing. At this time, no one had this right. Hindus believed that the earth was held on the back of four elephants standing on the back of a cosmic turtle. In Greek mythology, it was believed that the god Atlas held the earth upon his back. The Norse mythology claimed the earth, along with eight other worlds, are held up by a giant ash tree. But yet the Bible declared thousands of years before man figured this out, he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. That's Job 26, 7. And there are many other passages like that. When, when man thought that the earth was flat, the Bible talks about the earth being a sphere. Why, why am I saying that? Because the Bible knew something before man ever figured it out. And you will see this over and over and over again. So for those of us that love the Word of God and trust the Word of God, yes, we can look at His Word and we can read something and we can go, well, it's true because the Word said it and never have to question it again. But did you know that it was already true before the Bible wrote it? It was already true before the Bible wrote it. And there are many things in Scripture that man will not find out or man will not discover until later. But the Bible had it right all along because the Bible is true. Here's another example. Laws of cleanliness. Encyclopedia Britannica documents that in 1845, a young doctor in Vienna named Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis was horrified at the terrible death rate of women who gave birth in hospitals. As many as 30% died after childbirth. Semmelweis noted that doctors would examine the bodies of patients who died, then without washing their hands, they would go straight to the next ward and examine expectant mothers. This was their normal practice because the presence of microscopic disease was unknown. Semmelweis insisted that doctors wash their hands before each examination, and the death rate immediately dropped to 2%. Well, any kind, the earliest kind, any first hint that there was any such thing as a microorganism wasn't discovered until the 1600s. But yet in Leviticus 15.11, God said this, anyone whom the one with the discharge, this is talking about like an open festering wound, anyone with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken. And every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes. And he shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. Th this is one small passage. But if you've ever read through the Bible, you, many people walk away and be like, man, God is obsessed with cleanliness. Like, this is, this is one passage, but there's whole chapters about cleaning, and if one touches this, and this is how you do. Why? Because he was trying to keep Israel alive. <laughs> they had a million people living in close quarters and tents, and they were all around each other. And he knew about microorganisms. They didn't know anything about it. But before the world ever discovered germs or bacteria, God knew about it, and he wrote about it in Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus. And he gave perfect laws that actually helped man discover and, and when, when doctors go back and look at these passages, they go, 
How is this possible? How did, how would these primitive people have known to do these practices that no one in the world was doing? How would they have known to follow these acts of cleanliness? Well, because the Bible is true and it's infallible and it's perfect. And there are a lot of things in there that are true before man will ever figure it out. And so we have to teach our kids this. We have to teach our kids that not only, not only can the Bible be trusted, not only is the Bible correct on every issue, but so many times man is incorrect and only, and only finds out later that actually he needs to adjust to the Bible. There was a long time that uh, Bible critics would say, well, the Bible talks about this group of people called the Hittites. There's no record of a group of people called the Hittites. That's just totally made up. And everybody who believes the Bible is like, yeah, no, you'll find out later. I don't know anything about the Hittites, but I know the Bible is right. It's always right, and it's never proven wrong. And, of course, not too long ago, they discovered the Hittite people and all of their archaeology and everything. They go, oh, well, okay, I guess the Bible was right on that one. But we'll get them on something else. You're never going to get them. Never going to get us. Never going to get him. He's always right. And then they said, well, you know, it's not possible Moses wrote these five books because they didn't even have written language at the time of Moses. Well, as far as you know, they didn't. But then, of course, later they find out, oh, wow, written language actually preceded Moses by several hundred years. So it's on and on. It's constant. One of our best-known scientists, Isaac Newton, knew this. He was a devout Christian and theologian. And Isaac Newton was famous for this. Throughout his life, Newton tested biblical truth against the physical truths of experimental and theoretical science. He never observed a contradiction. This is from his biography. I re- I've, this is from Isaac Newton's biography. Never observed a contradiction. The order that he found in nature through experiment and calculation, later to be called the mechanistic worldview, was for him God's work and proof of God's work in history, which he extracted from the Bible. He was one of many scientists that would find scientific truth in the Bible and then test it. He didn't come up with the idea himself. He just found something in the Bible and said, well, if, the, if it's in the Bible, it must be true. So we're going to start testing for that. In all of his years, he never found a contradiction by doing that. Why is this important? This is important because telling kids that the Bible says so is not always enough. I hope this is making sense to you. But what I'm trying to say is we have to know and understand that the Bible is true apart from us having it written down in a book. Everything that's in there, God put there because it's true. It's almost like if you have your, your uh, manual to your automobile. Okay, If you read through your manual and it says... Do not put water in the gas tank. You know, it only runs on gasoline. Well, that doesn't make it true. Actually, it was written there because it was true. It was written there because it was already true. And that's what we have in the Bible. The Bible is a, uh, is, is a record of everything that was already true. Now, why is that important? Well, because when you're talking to a child, those things can easily be proven. Those, those things can be demonstrated. For example, if, if I don't have to tell a kid something, that something is morally wrong just because the Bible says I can start there. And I can help them see, 
well, you're confused on this. Well, because the Bible is the authority in our life, let me tell you what it says. It says this. But apart from the Bible, I can also begin to say, because that's true and because we know that's true, let's just look at the logical reasons why this would be the case. And we can begin to go through why God's law is correct and God's law is perfect. And so first thing we have to do with our kids is establish absolute truth. We have to help them know and understand that the Bible is absolutely true and that every other idea must be tested against the Word of God. Because in this world, they're going to hear a lot of falsehood. They're going to hear a lot of lies. And they're in the middle of it right now. They're in the middle of it right now. They're hearing lies constantly at school. All of these things are going to affect their moral compass. All of these things are going to affect their moral compass. In other words, if I'm developing a strong moral compass in my child, I want them to know first and foremost, they can't have any cracks in this idea that God's word is true. This is where Satan always begins, and it's where he began with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had the word of God. They knew what God said. They were confident in it. They had no problem following it. Then Satan came along, and he began to say, did God really say this? Oh, that's not true. That's not true. No, he knows that if you eat it, he said, you're going to actually be like him. You're going to be, and he doesn't want that for you. So what did he do? He put a crack in their, in their moral compass. Their, their one solid thing of absolute truth, which is what God had said. He put a crack in it, just a small crack, and it opened a whole floodgate. For humanity, sin entered, it changed them, it changed the world, it changed everything. And how did it begin? It always begins, same way it always begins. It began up here. Satan put a thought in their mind. He said, what if what God said is not true? What if what God said is not true? And instead of rebuking that thought, instead of casting that thought out as the Bible tells us to do, they didn't have the New Testament where Paul says that, but Paul says to take every thought captive. Why would you do that? Because it's trespassing. See, we don't have, we don't have time to get into that this morning, but Paul talked about thoughts in the New Testament. He said when a, when, a, when a thought comes, you take that thought captive and you examine it and you go, Hold on a minute. Almost like you put it under arrest and you go, what are you doing here? What are you doing up here? Because this is my space. This is God's space. And that thought, where'd that thought come from? You ever had a thought like that that you're like, where did that come from? I don't believe that. I don't think that. Where did that thought come from? Some people are so used to having those thoughts that they don't even see it as trespassing. They just, it's like those thoughts just live there every day. But those thoughts come, and this is the only way that Satan can work in your life. It's the only way that Satan can work in a child's life. Satan cannot do anything. Satan has no power. Satan can't kill you. Satan can't harm you. Satan can't stab you. <laughs> Satan can't do anything to you. If he could, he would have already done it. Here's all he can do. He can put a thought in your head that you meditate on, and you start to believe, and then you, by your own choice, act on it. That's it. That's all he can do. That's the only power he has. So he puts a thought in your head. Well, you know, I don't know if I like, I don't know about this Christian thing. You know, I don't know if I want to be married anymore. Oh, you know, I'm tired of living this straight and narrow life. These thoughts, and you go, where did that come from? Satan put it there, and, and he's going to put it there over and over again. And if you entertain it and you listen to it and you think on it, 
It's going to take root, and eventually, by your own choice, you're going to act on it. He can't make you act on it. All he can do is put the thought there and influence you to act on it. This is the same thing he did with Jesus. Same thing he did with Jesus. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is almost a repeat of what happened in the garden. It's just Adam and Eve fell for it. Jesus didn't. You know, if Jesus had failed, if, if Jesus had fallen for the temptation in the wilderness, he never would have been able to die on the cross. His whole mission would have been done. And that's what Satan was after. Because Jesus had to be perfect. He had to be sinless. And Satan was trying to get him to slip up. And how did he do it? By thoughts. He said, you know, I mean, if you really are the son of God, you could do this. You could turn these stones into bread. He's trying to get him to begin thinking along a sinful track. And what did Jesus do? He always went back to his absolute truth. He said, oh, no, no. The word of God says this. And it was his firm foundation. It was his absolute truth. So he compared what Satan was saying against what the real truth, the word of God, was saying. What is that? Well, that's taking thoughts captive. That's that's what Paul meant when he said take every thought captive. That thought is arrested and it's examined. It goes, what are you doing here? And do you measure up? Do you match what I know the Word of God says about this? It's just like if you tried to cross over illegally into another country and they start examining a few things. They go, okay, where's your passport? Where's your papers? You know, are you supposed to be here? And if you can prove all that, you go, okay, you get to stay. If not, you get kicked out. And that's how it should be with our thoughts. When our thoughts come in, we, 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 ca- we, catch them, we, we take them captive and we say, does this line up with the absolute truth of the word of God. Listen, children have to be taught to do this. And I would say, as adults, I'm not sure how good we are at this. But children have to be taught to do this. I can't tell you how many conversations that I have to have with my children where I hear something come out of their mouth and I know exactly what's happening the moment I hear it. The moment I hear it, I hear something come out of their mouth and I go, I know exactly what's going on right now. I know exactly where that thought came from. They've never heard that from me. They were laying in bed at night and they had that thought. Where did it come from? So what do we do? We teach them this. We teach them this and we say, listen, that thought is not from God. That thought does not line up with the Bible. And if you entertain that thought night after night, day after day, week after week, it's going to eventually produce a harvest in your life. And so you have to come back to what you know is true, which is the Word of God. And you have to say, that's not true. This is true. And I'm building my, my foundation in this. But see, we have to have these kinds of conversations with our kids. And can I just tell you that this takes time? This takes time. You, you can't be busy just running around, not plugged in, not paying attention, Living your own life, just barely, you know, doing, you know, almost parenting's on cruise control. We talked about that at the beginning of the series. This takes time to sit down and, and explain to your children and say, you're thinking this, you have a question about this, but let me show you from the Word of God what the Word says. And then, I'm gonna, then we're going to talk about not only what the Word says, we're going to talk about just from a logical standpoint why this is true. And that's, that's why I think it's so important to understand we don't believe something just because the Bible says it. And, and that would be enough because we trust God. But again, just understanding that no, it, it's true anyway. That's why God put it in here. So that's why so many, uh, 
scientific discoveries that prove the Bible. They don't use the Bible to prove it. They just, they use science to prove what was already true because it was true whether the Bible said it or not. And that's so important for our kids to understand. So what type of lies are your kids facing? What type of what type of lies is Satan trying to challenge this, this absolute truth of the Word of God right now? Well, it's, it's plain and obvious. It's right in, it's right in front of you all the time. It's going to be on, on a lots of moral issues. It's going to be on their sexuality. It's going to, now it's going to be on gender. It's going to be on just sin in general. It's going to be on all kinds of things the world is going to say something different than what the Word of God says. And you have to bring it back to this. You first of all start with the absolute truth of the Word of God. You show what the Word of God says. And then you also explain that even apart from the Word of God, here's why this makes sense. And here's why this is unhelpful if a society goes in this direction. Here's why God made that law. You can explain that. So you use the Bible to explain it, and then you use basic logic and common sense to explain it because whatever the Bible's telling us is true and cannot be proven false. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Next week, we're going to get into how to not erode or corrupt their moral compass. Because even once a child has a good moral compass, it can be eroded and it can be, a, it can be corrupted. And Satan works hard to do that. And it's our job as parents to protect them from that. Amen.